Are those morons out there? Yeah. I can take chicken fertilizer instead of doing some caviar. I can make them eat dog food and they'll think it's steak. Sure, I got them like this. You know what the public's like. A cage full of guinea pigs. Good night, you stupid idiot. Good night, you miserable slob. There are a lot of trained seals. I toss them a dead fish and they'll flap their flippers. <laughs> He's a monster. I'm going to call the station up and give him a piece of my mind. Well, thanks, you, Jack. I knew he'd open his big yap once too often and blow my fridges. Delta Dawn, what's that flower you have on? Could it be a faded rose from days gone by? He was a meeting you here today to take you to his mansion in the sky. She's 41 and her daddy still calls her baby. Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is your host, James Kent, and with me is Teal. Hello. How's it going? Good. Um, you know, I usually do these like funny intros, but right. the problem is we don't always, uh, you know, we, we tape this and then it airs maybe a few days later. Um, in this case, this is an episode that you're, you, the listener, are going to be hearing. It's probably not going to be out for a couple of weeks. So if I make any uh, reference... <laughs> it's going to be so outdated because you know by the time because, you hear this <laughs> because we're in we're down to like three hour news cycles yeah so you know <laughs> so this is just going to give you a flavor from behind the scenes we are taping this on the exact same day that we woke up to find out that uh, president trump has said he uh you know got the coronavirus i have no yes. reason not to believe a strong uh, upstanding person who's forthright all the time I believe the science, but here's, I have one thing to say about this. I know it's going to be, all I have to say is it is what it is. At the end of the day, you know, stand back and stand by. And stand back. <laughs> we have some, <laughs> some late breaking news. I saw that somebody had written it. You know, I mean, of course you get all the jokers out there putting in the jokes and somebody wrote, uh, Hey, uh, you know, medical professionals uh, treating drunk. <laughs> yeah, stand, to stand I saw that too. Stand by. <laughs> stand by. I, or maybe I even, I may even retweeted that one. You maybe did. I, I don't know. So I funny. saw it. I did see it. So we shouldn't spend too much time on this because as we just said, it's dated. But, 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 but you know what though? If there's anybody out there that is doubting that, I would say that, uh, you know, seeing the frequency and the amount of people now that the ripple effect getting infected around him, yeah. it would have to be the biggest conspiracy of all time <laughs> um, mm-hmm. to pull that off. And, you know, just a couple of days ago on live television, you have the president of the United States making fun of the other candidate for being too cautious <laughs> yeah. and wearing a mask and practically goading his followers to be like, yeah, you yeah, mask take wearers. off your and, mask. You know, so I think, you know, <laughs> I think that uh, science is always the great equalizer. Yes. N- you can't, uh, you know, nature is going to do its thing and yes. we are part of that world. Yes. And uh, we are impacted by it, but, you know, it's going to do what it's going to do. Hey, look, we are living through certainly uh, fascinating times and history, yeah. but uh, but we're also living in the era of streaming during the quarantine. <laughs> yes, we are. Which is what we continue to do is we stream. <laughs> because we're not going to the theater. 
You went once. You went that I one went time. Once. It's probably the only time this year I'm going to go. But I got to tell you, that theater up north I keep talking about, they're throwing <laughs> out some gems, man. They're going to be showing uh, sometime in October The Shining. Oh, nice. The uh, the drive-in that's about an hour away from me, it's over the border in New York. Uh, that area is now in the red zone. I can no longer go oh, there. Oh, okay. Uh, Yep, uh, but if I could go there, in a couple of weeks, their drive-in's going to show a clockwork orange. Oh, wow. I think that's just cool, the idea that I, I, I know a lot of things in my life, and one thing for sure is I always thought I could bet on the fact that you would never see a clockwork orange playing at a drive-in movie theater in the year 2020. <laughs> I would have lost that bet. <laughs> I would have. Um, <laughs> so it's an interesting time. You know, I got to be honest, look, since uh, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, you know, seeing when you have a president that basically says, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to accept the election results <laughs> and, and, and people like as well, broad as daylight, like the governor of Texas is basically saying, yeah, I'm going to suppress the votes, but you know, because of because for for whatever reason, you can be a little down. So I need pick me ups. Right. And uh, I I I mentioned one on the show. Well, it was the last show we taped, but it'll be two episodes ago for you, <laughs> right. Lister. Uh, I mentioned this film, My Octopus Teacher. Yes. Uh, and I, I only seen a half an hour of it at the time, but we waited uh, like, you know, no time at all to quickly finish right, it. Right, right. And uh, then I, I believe you saw it as well. I did. I watched it with my eight-year-old. So, uh, and that's what I did too. I watched it with my eight-year-old and I'm kind of curious as to what your thoughts are and, and hers. We were talking about coronavirus and being part of nature and everything. Right. And that is really kind of a theme of this movie is that we've gotten disconnected from nature. And this guy certainly felt he had. He certainly felt he had and was feeling kind of alienated. And I, I don't know, it doesn't go into the details, but it sounds kind of like he had some kind of breakdown. And yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, they didn't show it, but it was pretty clear you know, that he was saying that he was burnt out. Yeah, he was, he was totally burnt out and uh, starts swimming. And one thing that I find amazing about this movie is that he didn't wear a scuba tank. And he had a rationale for that. He had a great rationale for it, but it makes filming so much more difficult. And this is, you know, there's moments in it where he's like, I had to go up and take a breath. But given that, that he's working with those constraints, uh, the photography is incredible. The shots he gets are amazing. Well, I think that's part of his background as a dog. I think he, I mean, it looks like he had some pretty insane equipment too. Oh, you absolutely. you could see at that yes. time that camera that he placed in the water. Yes. Uh, you know, clearly that's not free. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's got, <laughs> some, cost some, he's got <laughs> some good gear, but he- Oh, it looks gorgeous. And it, But the film looks gorgeous and it's really just a one man movie. Yeah, and you know what? It's because of that, you get a little bit more understanding of how some of these documentaries are even filmed. Yes, yeah. Plus the fact that, you know, he's actually not that far up from the surface. That's how he can even, you know. Right, I guess right. A, yeah. I guess, he, guess he, he didn't really go into it, but he must be a, sort of a free diver. Well, he says at the beginning that the more he swam, the longer he could stay under. Basically, he just conditioned himself. I mean, they never go into this either, but you got to have the sense that he could hold his breath for at least four minutes. Yes, right? yes. That's what's insane. I'm kind of curious. I, I, what your entire thoughts are, but it sounds like you really, you, you got immersed in this guy's world. Totally got immersed. He's, what I find interesting about this guy is that he's very reserved. And, yes. and I like that because this easily could have been, there's a lot of sentiment in the movie, but. But never saccharine. 
Exactly. It's never saccharine. And I think it's in part because this guy is so reserved and so thoughtful and the way he articulates these things is, well, you just feel like you're getting to know him, but you feel like you're getting to know the octopus, too. And that's what I think the magic is. The fact yeah. is that I start to care and want to see what happens when he goes down every day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I start and you start to sort of understand his obsession with doing it every day, going and how this is all he thinks about. And he's reading journal articles about octopus and yeah he, he you start to get into his obsession and there's a little you know there's title cards like day 135 and every time one of those it, it came up my daughter was like wow he's been doing this for a hundred days and there's some amazing moments that are captured by the fact that he's you know well w you know he's inserted himself into this octopus's life, yes. which is really wild. And because octopuses don't have a long life cycle. They don't. And they're also fairly solitary creatures. So the things that he figures out, again, I don't want to spoil it for everybody because there's some interesting stuff, but you get to see this octopus do some unbelievable yes. things that make you realize, because I think a lot of time the man's flaw is its inability to recognize the intelligence the full intelligence of other creatures that yes. it lives amongst. And I just have this respect for this octopus, its ability to like, like when it, when it's having that uh, cat and mouse chase with the shark. Yes. And what it does and how it like took all those shells and you see, oh or, my God. Or wraps itself in kelp. And, and it got on the back of the shark to. It's amazing. And it, it jumped up onto rocks outside the water. To, I mean, like it, it was absolutely compelling it was like an action adventure it, it, yes it is like an action adventure and and this and the character like the octopus by the end of the movie you're like this octopus has personality and it's weird is that and maybe this was it the intention or was it the result it does mirror in so many ways and it kind of shows you why it's been a children's classic for you know years is it really does follow this idea of charlotte's web yes because wilbur is very much like this guy yes he needs help and the octopus helps this guy and charlotte mm -hmm. helps wilbur mm -hmm. and then you know there's this natural cycle of life that mm -hmm. the spider understands and in many ways this octopus understands what its duty is yes and understands it in a way that maybe wilbur doesn't uh, until yes. that moment and even this man though he understands because he's been you know reading up and he understands yeah. what the octopus is going to go through like i think his heart is crushed when he suddenly sees a big male octopus with the female. He knows what that means. Yeah. There's a part early on where he kind of scares the octopus off and he's worried, like, what did I do wrong? Maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, uh, uh, maybe I'll never see her again. Well, and then he has to go on a journey for several days trying to find her. Yes, he has. And, and he maps out the whole area, basically does like a grid system and uh, learns how to read little signs in the sand of where things. Yeah. Well, that's that interesting side story that he brings in early and it pays off with the trackers that he'd once yes. filmed in documentaries and their ability to pick up stuff that you know regular humans cannot. They just don't. They're not trained to pick it up. Yeah. And another thing, at one point he mentions that. He is finding things that aren't in any of the science, right? Like he, he observes things that haven't been observed before. And I think it's largely just because the amount of time he spent watching and doing it every day. And that's, 
you know, not something. <laughs> that precise experiment of like, I'm going to actually focus on this one octopus in its environment and I'm going to go every day. And when you actually get to see the octopus change color. Oh, it's amazing. I, I got to tell you, I mean, so I, I really loved it and it did. It made me feel um, and you've, had, you've said that before, where like you don't want to you know see movies that make you feel things. And yet, right. I'm finding myself in a time where I am kind of leaning on some movies that can make me feel some emotions. Yeah, that can make me feel like kind of the wonder of life. Well, exactly. And you know, it's funny because there's a bunch of uh, Disney nature. Oh, and they're on. Is it on the Disney Plus? And it's on the Disney Plus. And they also have tons of National Geographic stuff. But we watched a cool one about penguins. And then there's a companion documentary about the making of it. And it's really fascinating to see, you know, this film crew in Antarctica really in very dangerous situations at times. I saw a documentary about pangolins. But it wasn't a documentary. It was the season premiere of South Park, <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> their, yep. their pandemic special. <laughs> yep. I've, I haven't watched it yet, but I've certainly heard about it. <laughs> the pangolins. So they weren't quite penguins, but they were pangolins. So, yeah, I, it, it's interesting to have watched, you know, I've, I've, yeah, I've been watching a lot of these Disney nature films and then to see this one. And those are big productions like they, they spent multi-million dollar productions. On but see, it. when they do that, right, there's so many people involved. Yes. Sometimes it gets in the way of the simplicity of what this guy did. And that's what's so amazing about this movie is that it's, yeah, it's a one man movie. Basically, he's, he's got his kid there. There's there's definitely a few shots of him that I'm like, OK, somebody else was well, there with a camera. I mean, it seemed like his son also helped film some stuff. Yes, his son. I think that's exactly. Yeah. The Disney nature ones don't really make me feel stuff in the same way. And they're also they do this kind of annoying thing, which is that they anthropomorphize the creatures too much. Right. Like they narrate from the. Yes. They make it silly and fun. They have the cutesy music. They have cues. the cutesy music. They Yeah. And they have like, you know, the the penguin slips or something and the narrator goes oops oh no no it's all good yeah and they do that i guess you know for kids but see you you have an eight-year-old i have an eight-year-old yeah. they were both uh pretty cat well i don't know i can't speak for your daughter but my son was very captivated and really enjoyed my octopus teacher yeah my daughter loved it but you know it's uh it's bittersweet but yeah my my daughter loved it and uh and i did too i think it's just really unique documentary and i've been recommending Recommending it to everyone. Of course, we could have turned it into a found footage thing where the octopus eats the guy at the end. And that would have been awesome. <laughs> that, that'll be the remake. Be like that one about the bear. The guy was into the bears, and then the bears right. back and kill him. Um, oh yeah, what was the grizzly man? Right? Yeah, grizzly man. <laughs> um, so then the other movie I mentioned on that show that I was getting ready to watch, and it wasn't yeah. a joke. I was totally excited for it. it was Netflix's Anola Holmes? Now, you did you watch that yet? No, I'm watching it uh, tomorrow, I think. It's funny. This is not a movie that I really feel like reviewing in the sense of like, oh, I got to tell you this plot. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mystery. It's a Sherlock Holmes. But it's a, from a book uh, called Case of the Missing Marquez, an Enola Holmes mystery. Okay. And it's really a chance to infuse a, a woman's point of view, or in this case, right. a teenage girl's point of view into the story uh, who's in the shadow of her famous brother and then her other her older more overprotective stuffy brother mycroft my mycroft is always a great I, I always like mycroft in every sherlock holmes story well, he's in this one too it's got those characters 
But it's directed by this man, Harry uh, Bradbeer, did a lot of TV. Okay. He's most famous because he directed, I don't know of every episode, but he directed the majority of Fleabag. Oh, okay. Interesting. And there's definitely a Fleabag aspect to this in the sense that, uh, and this is not a, this really isn't a giveaway because it happens like instantaneously. Right. Uh, and if you just watch the trailer, it does, but Enola Holmes breaks the fourth wall. Oh, okay. And- there's only so many times you're going to be able to get away with that flea bag device. Right. And this may be the only other time. But when you're dealing with kids who will not be watching flea bag. Right. Yeah. My kids don't like flea bag. It's perfect. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, when the kids wouldn't have seen that. Right. It works charmingly for this. And okay. Millie Bobby Brown you know, one thing you, you like her on uh, Stranger Things, but you wonder what kind of facets. You know, she, she right. plays it pretty much this quiet, not an alien. She's not no, an alien on the she, show, but yeah. supernatural girl. And uh, you know, you wonder what her range is. And I got to tell you, she is a fantastic comedic actress. I enjoyed every moment of her. She was just charming, and the way she did this fourth wall breaking, she like understood how to do it and it, not make it look stupid. I mean, you wow. have to be a really good actor or actress to do this and pull it off, and she did. And my son, uh, who's the eight-year-old, watched it. Yeah. He had never seen something like that before. Oh, interesting. And he said to us, right? We didn't. We weren't commenting yeah. on it, but we, he said to us. I really like that she knows we're watching her and that she's talking to us out of the movie. Oh, wow. So he had a connection there. And so it's very smart, I think. That's really interesting. Because, you know, then there's going to be kids eight years old, yeah, maybe yeah, a little yeah. bit younger that will watch this. And so it's almost like her talking the way she does, it gives the kids a character they can enjoy, even if they're not sure about every aspect of what's happening in the story. Yeah, because those plots can be pretty complicated. And you know what? It's not that complicated in this. And really, it's secondary. If I was just to treat right. this as a regular movie, I might be like, oh, come on. This is." But <laughs> it was so, to me anyway, it was just so charming. And it was nice to have something that actually was a family film, but it was just enough of adult stuff that you didn't feel like you know you were being uh, right. Right. It's not. It's not a kid. <laughs> it's not a kid movie. It's a family movie. Yeah, and it's good for like you know. I guess. I mean, my oldest was twelve. He was. I was shocked that he wouldn't watch it, but he he was like, Man, I don't want to watch that. No, he's a jerk. Uh. <laughs> he didn't want to watch it. Turkey, and he missed a good movie because he's being that 12-year-old. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's annoying. I know. So My 12-year-old does want to see it, but my 8-year-old is obsessed with ratings. She's okay. And so she saw that it was PG-13, so she doesn't want to watch it. See, now my eight-year-old is would be the opposite. Exactly, if sees, yeah. If he sees PG, he thinks it's for babies. Yeah, yeah, she he actually said that to me once. He's like, <laughs> oh, I know. I remember you saying that. Like, yeah, that's for babies. So I actually think the only reason it's PG thirteen is because maybe there's some mild like I couldn't even tell. You know, it's hard when you're when you're fifty, like myself. <laughs> right. There are things that I just go in and out of my head that I wouldn't even know <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Because I don't treat my kids that way. I'm not like, oh my god, they they made a sexual reference or something. Well, here's the thing. I don't either. I, I I'd be fine with. I mean, the stuff I watch with my twelve year old. Oh, she, I mean, if she, she's, she's way fine for this movie, but honestly. Oh, no, but she's just a different kind of audience member. My eight-year-old is just very sensitive. And so I'm not protecting her from the stuff as much as she's protecting herself. 
Yeah, I mean, I just don't know. I mean, again, I don't know your your kids that well to know, but I can't. I just am stretching myself to think about anything that your eight. Your, unless she, the only thing I could think of is that she could find it boring, maybe if she didn't okay. find it funny. Yeah. But there's nothing like objectionable in the movie. <laughs> oh my god, it's it's really it's a, it's high adventure. I mean, it's kind of like a fun journey of Natty Gan. Like it's okay. it's a rollicking adventure. But guess what? You always complained, and we've had a, an episode a long time ago on it, in that it's hard for you to find movies that you can show your daughters yeah well here you go this is served up in a silver platter totally i'm I, i'm looking forward to it yeah so i'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts because it's just a nice movie where i want to see more honestly i want to see enola holmes back okay well they probably will do a sequel it seems like it's uh getting it's pretty successful I, I hope so, because I really, you know, this is a movie that really makes me, I'll, I'll take a step back. I saw that Godzilla King of the Monsters movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. she was in that. And you're like, these are not the kind of moves you should be making, Millie Bobby Bound. Oh, interesting. I know that it's probably an exciting paycheck and people, yeah. you should do one of these because it could be a franchise. No, this is the kind of thing that she should be doing. And she was fantastic in it. Okay. Anything else did you see there? Or are we, or are we moving on to the main topic? Oh, we got a main topic? Okay, stop it, smart guy. <laughs> okay, uh, are we moving on to the main topic? Well, that's why I'm asking you. Do you have something else? Do you? I was to just going to mention, no, 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 let's move on. Oh, now I'm all curious. <laughs> oh, I just, I started, everyone was saying you got to watch this Social Dilemma documentary. Yeah, I mean, I, I live it. I don't need it. <laughs> that's a, I, I watched about 25 minutes of it and I was like, yeah, no big surprises here. Uh I will, though, I will tell you, I, this is not really, like, I count that as, like, is that really uh, the kind of thing we talk about? And I don't know if this is either, but I will put a shout out, because we're talking about the feels. <laughs> yeah. This episode is about feeling. This thing on Netflix caught my attention. It was only five episodes, and, I, uh-huh. and, I, and they're, like, 35 minutes each or something, and I buzzed through them. And it really made me feel good, and maybe that sometimes you just need to feel yeah. really good. It's this thing called Love on the Spectrum. Oh, okay. I've, I think I've seen. I think I've seen it fly by. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's this sort of I guess subgenre on all these streaming services. These romance love connection type shows. Yes. Yeah. The ones of the new millennium. And yes. They all feature that sort of like TLC channel where there's all that right music and and you know it just feels very produced and you know a little bit fake reality right well this caught my eye it's an australian series and it features young adults and i say young adults because they're probably early 20s uh it's a group of individuals i don't know eight to ten of them over the five episodes of of australians uh men and women who have you know autism uh, spectrum disorder and so they're not fully autistic um, and they used to be classified as Asperger's, but they don't really classify right. uh, people with autism spectrum disorder with Asperger's anymore. Right. So, you know, some people might say high functioning, but. I think spectrum covers that, though. Like So even within the spectrum, I mean, there are, you could see throughout the series that people have various you know degrees right. of autism. But unlike, say, an American series, which I feel like is just obnoxious and overforced yes what what i why i got the feels is i i thought it was fascinating is that dating at any point in time when you're first trying to date or trying to meet the right man or girl yeah. or whatever it, it, it's difficult for anybody yeah yes it is <laughs> yeah i mean it's, and it's awkward and going on a date a blind date and you know in social apps i mean i ha- i went through a lot of it when uh i was 
single after a long-term relationship. Right. And I met my current wife on Match.com. But to get to her, I had to go through a lot of like (laughs) awkward dates, right? So I already understand that, how hard that is. But compound it when you take two individuals that for them, interacting in any type of social situation is a challenge. It's yeah. not just a challenge. It's some cases it's it causes such massive anxiety. Right. And I think this series doesn't necessarily shy away from that as they try to help these people find romance because this is where I get, you know, very feely is that these people that they feature on the show are so phenomenally awesome. And you feel for their struggle that all they want is what everybody else right. wants, is that they are already, they're, they're in society. They're actually, a lot of them are, are living at home with their parents, um, but they have jobs. And the last piece of the puzzle is they want to have a partner that they can share their life with. Yeah. But it's really hard for them because some of them have never actually had even an official date. So this show tries to even give them that dating experience. Oh, that's cool. But it's not easy because they're matched up with other people (laughs) that are also on the spectrum. Yeah. And what you really get to see, if you want to, I mean, again, some people will probably complain and say, well, this doesn't really give you the full picture. Well, I don't think it's intended to. It doesn't sound like it's about that. No, but what it it gave me is is that a lot of these shows will show the person with this disorder that interacts with their family and friends and people who don't have it. Right, right. Or they might have a best friend or they're in like a community group. But you don't see what it's like for one of them to go out on a date with a stranger who also has that disorder. Right. And watch and understand what type of social issues and anxieties that come up during that date. Well, that sounds like a cool show. It was. It was only five episodes, and I really liked it, and it did. It made me feel, because there's some romantic stories in there. It was a show that really ultimately made me feel positive, and it does remind me that... You know, we're human beings out there and we're trying to try to live our best life. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I felt like, uh, you know, Octopus Teacher gave me the feels, but in a positive way, like it wasn't traumatic. It was, you know. Oh, yeah, no. And that's what this is also gave me. Yeah. And it's just I think it's funny after a show that we did recently where we were talking about the devil all the time. Right. Did not give me the happy feeling. <laughs> no, no, no. Quite the opposite, in fact. No. Yeah. I, I think Stephanie Zachariak said that it was just horrible people doing horrible things to to each other. It's kind of what it was. And it's kind of what it was. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyways, as we're going to we're going to enter into this new phase of the program, our main topic. Yes. But, and we're going to enter it through Criterion Channel. Oh yes. In October, the Criterion Channel is kind of focusing on horror. And they have about 20-something titles from the 1970s that are all horror-related. Yeah. And my wife and I are committing to try to go through them, like, at night when we're in bed, like, you know, for, like, a half hour here or there. Right. And try to get through as many as we can. Some are going to be ones we've seen and not not would like to revisit, and then right. others will be ones we've just never heard of. We're not going to get to all of them, but they have, like, some early George Romero that I never saw. Like what? Like uh, The Crazies. Oh, yep. Seen it. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's not very good. We're watching it. <laughs> but, yep. you know, I'm not going to talk it now, but it just, it gives us, a, you know, I'm always trying to, you know, extend my uh, volumes of what movies I've seen. And yeah. uh, they're also showing some uh, female filmmakers of New World Cinema. 
which oh, is cool. that, which is that old uh, sort of low budget uh, distribution company, right? And uh, so that's kind of fascinating that they're showing some of those, and they're also showing Korean New Wave. Oh, cool! So they've got a whole bunch of films there. And so if you know, if you like Parasite, you can see some of the other films from that filmmaker. Yep. They are also showing Cronenberg's Videodrome. Yes. This month. Love that movie. The last time I saw that was in the theater a very long time ago. Oh, I haven't seen it probably since high school, but I loved it when I was in high school. And anyways, we were talking about what would we have uh, do for this show. And you said, um... You would think about it and you'd come up with something. Of course, you did not come up with anything. And so I was flipping at Criterion and I had forgotten that when I was reviewing the choices uh, yeah. that were going to come out for September, I forgot they were releasing this film. But it takes Criterion a while till they make kind of a big production out of some of the right. releases. Yes. One of their actual uh, selections that they have. So that means they'll they'll put it on and you can also access a lot of special features. Right was the Richard Linklater film Boyhood. Yes. And I think that landed on my number one of the decade, right? I think it did. And I, I want to point out that uh, we talked about this a long time ago on the movies that I'm embarrassed that I haven't seen. So, yeah, we talked about it two times, that episode. And then I mentioned it because it was on my decade's best. Yes, yes. And But here's the funny thing about that, and I think this is why I shamed you many, many moons ago, <laughs> was that the how I found out about Boyhood in the first place was from me was you and i realized um after re-watching it now but i watched it with the director's commentary this time right. so this is my third viewing and then i watched some of the extras is that it started filming in 2002 yes and i went to visit you in california you were living at the time at the very end of 2002 yeah and it must have been while i was staying with you for a few days that you mentioned that link later was doing this project yeah and this was so crazy is that <laughs> when you're in 2002, it was a 12-year project. Yeah. And so it's this you know, idea. I mean, 12 years is a chunk of time. And it's a big chunk of time. Yeah. The thought of like, wow, I can't wait to see that in 2014 <laughs> when it comes out. But I waited and I and I kept up with the movie every year just kind of like, oh, yeah, Linklater, he's out filming that still. Oh, I wonder what that's going to be like. Um, and I just thought that was such a weird and crazy idea that you would film a boy's life a little bit every year. Yeah. Well, and Linklater has done many experiments and this at the time just seemed like here's another Linklater ex experiment and like it and it could be a complete disaster. Well, that's right. None of, nobody knew what it, I mean, really had no idea what it was going to be. I mean, yeah. it, you know, doc, I mean, I really I knew it wasn't supposed to be a documentary. I just thought, well, that's fascinating because one of the things with any kind of coming of age or telling some one person's story, you always get that little 15 to 20 minute chunklet of them as a kid yeah and then suddenly they're an adult right yes exactly yes if you're lucky you get a third age in there you get like kid teenager and adult or it's a kid in a teenager story or something right and so what the what the filmmakers the writers have to do is they have to craft some moment in the kid story that will explain something about who they are going to become. Exactly. And so there's sort of these uh, dramatic scenes that foreshadow. I mean, it's almost, I feel like a lot of those are very Freudian in the sense that like a childhood experience determines who you are as an adult. Yeah. And it's like really a really specific event or experience where you like learned not to trust anyone or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and mind <laughs> you, so Richard Linklater wasn't just doing, you know, this movie. 
in between the time he started this film and the time that Boyhood came out, he directed School of Rock, Before Sunset, Bad News Bears, Fast Food Nation, A Scanner Darkly, <laughs> Me and Orson Welles, Bernie, and Before Midnight. That's insane. <laughs> that is totally insane. All during this journey to make this film Boyhood. So I remember when it was finally coming out. This is a yeah. film that I couldn't wait to see. And the biggest shock I had was not that I just love this movie, was that you didn't see it. Yep. And I thought you were on board the boyhood train from day one and you didn't see it and you still hadn't seen it. And so I finally found the moment where I said, ha ha, I'm going to make you watch this movie for the show. Yes. And, uh, and I didn't watch it. No, you better not have said that. <laughs> it's our shortest episode ever since the first episode back almost two years ago. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been a fun surprise. That would have been a fun been more surprise. Fun, more of a surprise than waking up, finding out that the president got uh, COVID-19. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, no, I watched it. You know, the thing is, I don't know why I didn't see it initially. I think it just, you know, didn't quite fit in my life at the time. I really yeah. wanted to see it. And, and where you were living, it probably wasn't necessarily the easiest thing to go see. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of people told me it was amazing. And. I did not, and I, I, I do this sometimes with a movie that I really want to see, but I can't get to, is I won't read anything about it. You need the expectation to die down because now you've heard it so great and it's tainting your experience. And so I feel like I was, uh, you know, this was a good place for me with it. it. It's now kind of a classic, but it's not, the hype isn't all around it right now. And I knew almost nothing going in. I mean, I knew the concept. And even if you knew some of it, you probably forgot because it's been, now it's been six years. And now it's been six years. Yeah. Th wait, this is your number one of the decade, huh? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, do you want me to kind of not go into the, do you want to re re recap like why it was for me? Yeah. Yeah. A quick recap. Well, I mean, I heard it was great. I was all excited to see this film, but when you hear something is so phenomenal, right? Right. And that means the experiment field, but I just also like you, I didn't want to know. It's hard. You're like fighting expectations yeah. versus reality and i sat in and i got the experience that i only have once in a while it's a movie hits me a certain way yeah it affects me it makes me there was something about the filmmaking style which i think we're going to go we're going to go into way details about that it, to me, it was a journey. It wasn't. It wasn't my childhood necessarily any more than it was Richard Linklater's. Right. Though he drew upon a ton of his actual growing up. Well, of course, to make this film, but. I found moments and things that just started bringing up all these moments for me mm -hmm. that I suddenly had this shared experience of saying, wow, you know, childhood is a very similar experience and, and our resiliency to the situations around us. Resilience was a word that kept coming to me throughout the, the entire movie, because what the kids go through just in terms of the number of transitions they go through i guess and and yeah how they keep bouncing back no matter what's there exactly and they have to move several times and they're in and out of relationship the you know the mother's in and out of relationship it's just it's not an incredibly solid life there's a lot of transitions within it and the kids are incredibly resilient so is the mother they all are what's comforting is that you go through this journey and you get to like you know there's a specific end point for this yeah. story and you realize that you know if you have the right parents who ultimately have the right values and 
you know, things can work out okay. Yeah. And you also got to know him, this boy, and this this character that, that the boy plays, and you get the sense, you see him grow, and you feel like, yeah, he came out the way he should come out. Yeah. So there was a moment that happens in the movie, I don't want to reveal it just yet, but when the scene happened, there's a lot of scenes in this movie that, that are not expected the way you would have in a normal yes. plot film. They don't also go where some movies just are, it's just an easy temptation to go. Yep. And what happens is you find them uneasy because you've seen so many movies that go a certain way. Yes. And because of that, that's also a lot of drama. And there's one particular moment that happens in the movie that I felt like I wasn't in that exact scene, but I was in a scene that was close and it felt so real that I kind of got shivers and I turned to my friend Brian who went to see it with me and we almost had the exact same moment at the same time and we both and I just went I said oh my god this is fucking incredible how did he yeah. like how is how is this scene happening that that the guy understands like some stuff that I felt like I went through and that's when I said this is a dire- this is a movie that is directed with such mastery yeah. that I, I'm like. So what? What scene was that? Well, so I went. It went for me to for thinking. This is really good, isn't it? To like this movie is really, really good. Can, yeah. can Can it make it all the way home? And that is the scene that happens. It's probably middle middle part of the film, getting a little bit towards the second half, uh, maybe already in the second half, where he has to go with friends on sort of like a camping trip, but he actually is hanging out in this under construction building oh that scene yes and yes it's with older kids and they're younger and they're already feeling intimidated and a little peer pressured yeah and the way they're talking smack and talking about how far you got with girls and stuff it reminded me of hanging out with my friend glenn when we were like 10 or 11 he had an older brother who was a senior in high school yeah and him and his friends were like they were like a little bit rough and tumble and we sometimes hung out with them when they weren't ready to pound us. Right. <laughs> but when we did, they they made us a little intimidated. And sure. I think they knew they were doing that. Mm-hmm. But it would took till I got older to realize they were just kind of messing with us. But we took it really real. Yeah, I love that scene. I mean, I, there's some little tiny scenes that got me like just the um, the first day at a new school coming in in the middle of the year. Um, that's something I did a couple times as a kid. Well, that's what I thought about you. I'm like, you know, I didn't, I, I, I think most people, most kids had that experience of having to move at some point. Yeah. And this of course has a few moments. And the first, which got me really early was right at the beginning where this kid has established friends and yeah. suddenly the mom, like they don't have money, they got to move. And the friends on the phone trying to call him. Yes. And the sister's just like, I'm busy. And yeah, you know. And we're moving, moving. by. And then he doesn't get to talk to friends again. And then he sees the kid on his bike. And he's looking at him. And it's just yeah. like, this to me is a real thing. Yes. It just as an experiment. I mean, I was like, this is why I was like so delighted. It's like, this is never going to happen again. We're not going to get a movie that gets this opportunity to explore like 12 different little chapters in this kid's life that add up to why he is who he is at the end. What's interesting is that I see, I was expecting it to be more chaptery, but I actually felt like, and I don't know, did they only shoot once a year? Or did they sometimes shoot twice a year? No, they shot once a year and they'd shoot for a few days. And what was great is that link letter, he had ideas of where he wanted certain things yeah. to go, but he wanted to keep room for the fact that everything ha- changes even within, you know, 
his own actors years right. and stuff. And so he would check in with all of the actors uh, throughout the year about the project. Here's where he's thinking and work with them on the ideas and where he was going. Uh, okay. Just collaborate so that he could write these things and get them written down. And then, of course, as the um, actor Eller Cotrain, who plays yeah. Mason, as he got older, he became somebody that you could communicate with differently as well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And become a little bit of contributor. And then there was a lot of things. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you know this, but. Look, I really tried to avoid as much of this movie as I could. And so when I watched it, I came in pretty with pretty fresh eyes. The daughter. Yeah. Samantha. That is an actress named Lorelai. Linklater. It's Richard Linklater's daughter. Yes. She was always begging him to be in a movie. Oh. And he started, you know, this idea and she was pestering. He's like, I'm not going to be able to make it 12 years if she's not the daughter. So right. it was an opportunity. But, and this was interesting because I watched the commentary uh, or watched the movie with the commentary and then also a, a making of documentary right. that uh, Criterion had. And one of the things I always heard was that after a few years, she got tired of playing it and she asked her dad if he could kill off the character. Oh, wow. And he's like, uh, no, that's too morbid. That's going to change. That's no, right. you're in it. Uh, however, he did try to like it some years when she wasn't super into it. He didn't write too much of her. Okay, okay. As you know, like there's certain events that are happening in the country. Right, and yes, And each yeah. year, Harry Potter is a big thing. Yes, there's, yep. And there's that scene where they're going to the book opening. And I don't know whether it was the brother or who was like a little bit cynical on the whole Harry Potter. Right. At the time, in real life, Harry Potter was a big deal to Lorelai. Oh. And she was at that age where, and I never, never thought about this as a kid because I wasn't a kid when Harry Potter right. came out, was that the books were very magical to her. They were sacred texts. Right. And part of her, even though she knew it was not a real thing, she was afraid that negatively, you know, or be, being part of this that way would somehow break the magic and that she wouldn't get a letter from Hogwarts. <laughs> Oh, wow. That would, and she knew it was stupid, <laughs> but she just felt like, uh, you know, and so she really didn't want to be a part of that, but he got her through that. That's and then, of course, you know, Patricia Arquette, who, uh, when she started it, you know, she was looking for work and yeah. then she got a job for several years on that uh, TV show, Medium. Exactly. Yeah. And she'd come in for a few days and, uh, you know, Ethan Hawke. And so another thing that really got me, and again, it's, yes, I think when people, there were people that loved this movie, gave it four stars, but but had the, but it's an experiment. Like the idea was, well, this right. movie's only so great because he was able to do this. And I'm like, that's not a knock. It could have gone so horribly wrong. <laughs> Here's what really struck me. And I, I noticed this fairly early on, I think. And it's just what you're talking about, which is that if he was just doing the experiment, it would not have worked. And I don't know why it was. I had this expectation well, I do know why, because every other movie is like this, <laughs> like we were just talking about. like, And so I was expecting more plot, I guess, is the best way to put it. Like, so I was expecting, you know, things to add up a little bit more or have more like big dramatic moments. And 
I think why this movie works is because of what he chooses to show. And in a big part, what he chooses not to show. There's a lot of negative space in the movie. Those chapters aren't like, like you said, so predicated on it has to be some strong aha moment of plot that that this moment is going to change his life. It really wasn't about that. And yet you, but he also gave room, like in these 12 years, you got room to have fully developed characters of both his parents who were divorced, both uh, you get to see uh, Patricia Arquette's journey and Ethan Hawke's journey. Yes. And his is quite a journey. You know, something that you'd have to do in makeup, but you don't right. hear, you actually watch not only him grow up every year, he's different as right. kids do, and it's kind of wild. But you actually see Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke age. Yes. And that's really amazing to see. And this is where I think these are great performances, right? I actually thought they were the two best supporting roles, and I wish they both won Oscars. Because Ethan Hawke is a kind of like not he's not a deadbeat dad but he's a guy who is not he's a he's a grown-up kid yes exactly yeah but he actually gets his shit together through the movie yeah and yet i think everything about life like he's going through a journey it doesn't get cut short i guess in this movie and it's also not uh like i was saying before it's not about big dramatic moments so this is what affected me is that i realized if we look at it from the kids point of view yeah for us as adults some of those moments may not have seemed big but i actually viewed that if we look at the fact that it's always sort of from his perspective in many ways yeah that these moments when you go back in your life and you know you can't remember every single thing you did but certain things stick out and yeah. you don't know why because they maybe they weren't but why why this moment I like to think that this whole film is made up with the moments that stayed in his brain okay I have one thought on this <laughs> okay well because I have some I have a whole bunch of thoughts too, on those but, moments, but, but. but on one really specific thing which is because I was sort of thinking the same thing this is sort of taking the form of memory in a way and but then there's this moment towards the end where he finds out his father sold the car. This, I think, is a very key yes. moment. So he, his father rides his GTO, which right. to the kid, I think, represents coolness. Yeah. The father does something that adults don't really take seriously, but kids do. And yes. that is that he said that someday this car is going to be yours. Exactly. And it was just a total aside, a total throwaway. That, but not to a kid. But to a kid, it was such a huge thing. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about is the sense of proportionality in terms of what's important and what isn't is very different for a kid. This what I think why that really smashed me yeah. is that I would never do that to my kid. Right. <laughs> there are people, so I'm not picking on him, but like his pop-up, yeah. uh, my, my oldest kids, my oldest son, his pop-up had a Jeep. Right. And when he was little, he loved to ride in that Jeep. And we don't live near them anymore, right. but the, the pop-up promised that someday that Jeep would be his, right? Okay. And of course he had to sell it, right? He sold it for whatever reason. But you know what? That made sense that he would sell it. But to my son- that's still a memory he remembers, but Pop-Pop said he was going to give me that Jeep because he <laughs> right. counted on that getting it. That's just how kids are. So I just thought that was a very, very striking moment in this movie. Well, and that's the other thing that it's incredibly striking. It's meaningful. It's powerful, but it's also played so subtly and realistically. There's no... Um, yeah, it's not over-dramatized. And there's exactly. no music in the movie other than um, music from the period. Yeah, and I would say there's like one dramatic scene in the movie. 
Which one is that? Where the the stepfather throws the glasses. Well, let's talk about that. That's a great performance, by the way. It is a great performance. It's yeah. an actor named Marco Perella. Yep. And he plays this profession. What I like is that you get the first scene of him obviously interested in the mom. Yeah. Suddenly it's a year later and then they're, you know, engaged. But you first get this sense of like, uh-oh, this guy might have a bit of a drinking problem. Exactly. And then it creeps up on you and you realize just how bad that drinking problem really is. And the things he does in that movie, he doesn't, you never see him beat the, the kids, but there's there's this very overbearing, ominous presence, very scary. Yes. And the scene with the glasses in the and the and the bottle that he throws. Yes, I always remember watching. I was terrified. Watching oh, it's that. a terror! It's an absolutely terrifying scene, and and we don't we don't know exactly what happened to her earlier. She's lying on the floor in the garage crying. You don't get the moments. See, a kid only sees these things. And exactly. So I thought that of that moment. Like I'm like, this is something that he is always going to remember. That moment he comes home and his mom's in the garage, and the dad just says, "Oh, she had a little accident. Now she's being ridiculous or something." But again it's it, the movie you know there's that is the big dramatic moment and then it, it's pretty dramatic also when they leave that house so that's another thing i liked about this is that in most movies it takes you to the very end of the movie before that that woman gets up the courage to leave this guy exactly and then she has a big yeah. dramatic speech but this was so real and also it was very heartbreaking because again how he decides to direct this movie is they get up and go. And those other kids, you feel terrible that they're still under yeah. this guy's control, but she doesn't have control of them. Yeah. And there's and there's a conversation about that even. I love that too, is yeah. that kids don't, it's not like, okay, come on, kids, we're out of here. And then it's another day and another year. Right. These kids are like, well, what about them? And you have to fill in the gaps of wondering, do they ever know, do they ever get to see those kids again? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Well, and we don't, we don't go through any of the divorce process or anything like that. And so <laughs> yeah. it, uh, but again, we have to fill in all those blanks. And in doing that, I think we're putting some of our own lives in there, too. And I think so. I think so many people have been affected by this because you can't help but think about your own life. The other thing this movie does that I want to point out is that there are a lot of scenes that are really long. And I think that it downplays the, the drama a little bit because they aren't tight scenes with lots of conflict. There's one scene I'm thinking about where he's like walking home or he's walking to see his mom at work and this girl walks with him. She's on a bike and they're just talking and chatting and walking down the street. It's like one shot, I think. And and it's just such a casual conversation. There's nothing big and dramatic. And it. it's like, hey, you going to the party? Oh, what book are you reading? It's, it's just a really almost mundane kind of scene, but somehow it's really compelling. That's one of the charms that Linklater has always been able to do. Yes. He takes just regular conversations between people like, like look, the whole before uh, series. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that, he makes these things very compelling. You know, I think it's just quite a feat that he was able to pull this movie off in the first place. Oh, I think so too. But I think, okay, so one thing I wasn't expecting that we're kind of talking about now is I was not expecting the screenplay to be so good. A lot of this is based on his own life, but obviously oh, okay. completely different. His yeah. mom, divorced mom, and she had to try to get an education so that she could become a professor. Okay. And she did. While raising, you know, him, him, and I don't know if he had a, any brothers and sisters, right. but there were always these, uh, it was like an environment, it was obviously like the early 70s and right. stuff, and uh, she would have the kids that 
were her students would right. be over hanging out and everybody would be talking and stuff. Oh, so, yeah. So there was a lot of that. And she went through a lot of hardship. And the last scene that Patricia Arquette's in the movie oh, is actually yeah. the last scene she filmed. And that was based on a scene much similar when he was going off to college. Okay. And how he didn't really understand the sacrifices his mom made and why she was so upset that he was leaving. Right. Yeah, that's a devastating scene. But again, the way it's played is not as a, the drama is played down throughout the movie. It's like so many things could be really melodramatic and he just doesn't go for the melodrama, which is amazing. That also pays off in other ways because when when you feel you're being manipulated by a screenplay, yeah. you can start to predict where it's going to go. And so I mentioned this a while back, but I... I didn't quite fill in the details because I didn't want to spoil it right. um, for you at the time because you hadn't seen it. But a, a scene that really got to me, just one of many, but this is why it got to me, is that if I wasn't paying attention to it when it happened, is there's a scene where she is talking to the gardeners. Oh, yes, yes. And she says, you're smart and you should yeah. go to college. Yeah. But she's that professor and she yeah. gives that advice and it's just, and then you go on with the scene. And of course, that's, you know, you know, you're only filming these things every year. So there's nothing that you would ever imagine that a, that character is coming back. Right. And then at the end, when they're having that sort of celebration, uh, you know, lunch. Yes. For her son. And this guy comes up who I didn't instantly recognize. Right, right, right. Yeah. Out of all this time, one thing that Patricia Arquette didn't get from her kids, because kids don't do this, right. is any thank yous for all her sacrifices. Right. And this guy came over and what it said to her and how she acted, and I really feel like it was this scene and that last scene that got her the Oscar, right. was you could see in her eyes everything she's worked for, all that. That's why she did it. Yes. Because she was looking to help somebody. And that was the first sort of validation that she actually made a difference in somebody's life. Well, and then she also, I think, in the same sequence, gets that from Ethan Hawke. Well, right. So that's another thing is that when they're having that after graduation. The after the house, graduation party. Yeah. I love that is that her and Ethan Hawke, divorced parents, there are scenes in the movie. Yeah. They obviously did not get along at some point. And she has a mom. And so that grandmother obviously didn't like him. Yep. And yet now they're coming back to celebrate this amazing boy that yeah. they, he's graduated. I mean, they probably did the same thing for the daughter when yeah, she graduated. Yeah. The the pride that you have as parents. And that's something we're rewatching it, even though with the commentary, as my kids are now older than when I, you know, six years yeah. from when I first saw the film, they were just very tiny at the time. Yeah. And I've now watched them get closer and closer to the age where, you know, my oldest is 12. Well, six more years and I'll be losing him. Right. So I'm now watching this film with a yep, different me too. lens. Well, and I got to say, you know, <laughs> one of the reasons we talked about this a little bit earlier is one of the reasons that I was holding off on seeing this is because of the feels. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I probably cried during the first time I saw the film. Yeah. And I was worried a little bit that I was just going to be like emotionally devastated by it and i was moved and i think i i teared up once a couple of times but it was a good feeling <laughs> yeah yeah no right it's right you feel good it, that's where i think that's where we've tried to tie this theme today and that's yeah. why i mentioned some of the things that we mentioned is because it's about this kind of just it's the human experience and it, exactly and i it's you know it's similar to my octopus teacher in a way, <laughs> yeah, in a way right. right like let's just check in on this on this guy but uh, again i've said there's so many times where it could have been 
manipulative. Yeah, and there's probably, I mean, it's a movie, so there's probably little things here and oh, there. Oh, I'm sure there are, but but I didn't feel like the movie was trying to push me to feel, uh, like you were saying with the music, it's not emotionally manipulative soundtrack. You know, this is another thing that I like about Richard Linklater, which is funny, I always call him Richard Linklater a little bit, maybe my yeah. accent, but it's actually Richard Linklater. I listening to him for a whole almost three yeah. hours on the soundtrack. This guy is the most humble guy. He does not seem like he has that ego of a film right. director. Like I wanted to do this, that this guy just is the most relaxed, calm, nice guy that you get from the sound. <laughs> he just seems so caring. And I think that's why the film result is that, is that he just, this is what he's fascinated by. Yeah. This is what he's interested in. And another credit to him, most movies would say when he gets into that truck and yeah. heads off to college. That's the end. The credits roll. Yeah. But he wants to go that little extra step further and show he's getting ready to have this next phase. He's now, yes. you know, he decided to go to college away from family. He's going to experience and make his own choices. I, I thought about a lot about that last going for the hike bit. And I realize I think it's just what you're saying is that I realized ultimately is that that is the beginning scene it is it's the beginning of his life it begins in that scene his independence his own choices well yeah because that's what boyhood i guess is right you're yes that first chapter is getting you to the start of your life exactly yes and that last shot he's talking to this girl and then they have this moment where they don't even say anything yes and she's just feeling awkward and then he looks and he almost, I guess it's funny because I heard the commentary, he kind of breaks the fourth wall a little bit. He couldn't help but smirking. But I think that what that smirk was is that he himself as an actor just went through a 12-year journey and that was the, that, this is it. This is his right. last scene in the movie. And wow, it's all over and I made it. And this is exciting. Like he just, what's going to happen from there? And I love that shot because it ends where, hey, who knows what's going to happen next? But life begins now and- yeah, so I just think it's a phenomenal American film. I think it's a phenomenal in a lot. Of, yeah, so I, I was about halfway through it when I was like, "Oh wow, this is a masterpiece." Yeah, I mean, I hate to use that word, but this to me is a film masterpiece. This is going to seem really strange, but the film that it because I don't think th- there are many movies like this. It's an incredibly unique movie for and, and not just because of the experiment of it. But one movie that kept coming to mind while I was watching this was 2001. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> Part of it is that, you know, that 2001 covers a big period of time. The leaping off points. They're leaping off points, but also there's this focus in 2001 on the mundane. Like when they're going out to see the monolith and they're talking about uh, what sandwiches they're going to eat. Right. And so it kind of gives you these mundane things. And then you have to fill in these gaps between stuff. That's my favorite part of this movie is that I was really worried that they would give you just like one minute of one year. Exactly. Or, yeah. Or you don't get something or or, or in all movies, when you're going to show a kid get up, you have montages. This movie doesn't have no montages. montages. Yeah. And, and, you know, you get to also the uniqueness of watching something that I always thought would have been fascinating. It's like, what would, you know, the real aging process. 
Well, that's like the 7-Up movies. That's another thing, of course. That's one of my favorites. And I'm waiting for it to stream is the most recent one. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I really love is because that, you know, you say, give us the child and we'll show you the man or something. And that's what Boyhood really does. And that's what Boyhood really does. Yeah. The other movie it reminded me of was uh, Hoop Dreams. It's another one where it doesn't go in the area, the the ways that you think it would go because it's not... The typical it's not a you know it's not a movie it's it, well, it's a documentary but but it's also about people growing up and you kind of check in with them and see how they're doing and their lives go in unexpected directions and i felt like this movie went in uh boyhood goes in unexpected directions but not in big dramatic ways i, I like ethan hawk's transition into a I don't know a, a, a guy with a minivan right <laughs> and well and also you know what it's funny What's what's amazing, and this is again the the genius of the screenplay, the direction, and the performances, is you can see on Patricia Arquette's eyes without ever having to have these dialogue scenes. Is she looks at what Ethan Hawke has become, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Why couldn't that guy have been there when I was ready for that guy?" Yeah, and I think that's really amazing that you don't get when you have a typical film that doesn't give it twelve years. Right, right, right. And then, mind you, the scenes themselves, like the scene with Ethan Hawke early when he gets to take the kids out and he takes them bowling and stuff, those are really great scenes. Like the stories, the stuff they talk about in those scenes are really interesting. They're really interesting, yeah. And the way he he wants to relate to them is really specific you know he he almost wants to be like a kid with them yeah and he also he wants to be like you know he wants to be a teacher that's what parents like to do yes. they want to teach their kids so he does i mean remember when they go and they're campaigning for obama and, and they grabs the mccain sign <laughs> it's like so awesome and then there's the scene which is so great because again you don't know how history is going to play out uh and they were talking about this in the commentary because they were taping it just a couple of weeks before it was coming out there's yeah. a scene where uh, ethan hawk and uh, Eller Cotrain are talking about, they're at the camp, they're camping, I think, yeah. and they're talking about what would it be like if they actually made a new Star Wars movie? Yes, yes. There was no talk yet. Like, Lucas <laughs> had not sold the rights. Yes. So it's just interesting that I think we all have those talks where I remember a friend of mine and I, this was before the prequels came out. Yeah. He was all talking about some rumor he had heard that Kenneth Branagh was going to play <laughs> Ben Kenobi or something. And we were all, you know, wondering, is this going to be real right. they're going to make prequels and it's just funny the kind of conversations you have and the birthday present that ethan hawk gives of the beatles black album yes. the imagined album of like all their best songs that they did <laughs> as solo artists that and, and he did that i guess he gave that to his daughter oh when he and uh uma Thurman were breaking up okay so Patricia Arquette was talked about how there were marriages there were kids there were divorces in their own lives right that they were bringing that that real experience to the performances. One thing I thought that was interesting, and I don't know why it it never occurred to me that this would be part of the movie, but the way the world changes too, like in 2002, we were just after 9-11 and there were were no smartphones and no Facebook. Yes. And by the end of the movie, we have smartphones and and he's like chatting with his dad on a video chat. And it's just cool to see the technology change over the course of it because that's not something he could have predicted or thought out ahead of time. He made a conscious effort and they did with, you know, the set directors and stuff that they really wanted to make sure that there was enough captured of like what was life like in those years and there's things that he did like he asked Patricia Arquette he said look I know that you know in your profession 
there's a temptation to do cosmetic surgery. Right. Please, if you can, for 12 years, don't do it because that wouldn't be what your character would never right. have that. Um, you know, there's, so there's a huge leap of faith. I think everybody had to have in Richard Linklater, and it sounds like from the commentary, everybody just couldn't wait every year to, to get back and do this. Oh, that's cool. I mean, it was like a real family thing. I mean, yeah. there was a lot of emotions when it finally, when they filmed their last scenes, it's like, wow, you know, you realize I'm not going to get to do this anymore. And this has back. been a huge journey. Have your kids seen it? No, no. Okay. Um, and it's not because I wouldn't show it to my oldest. I just, I don't, he wasn't, maybe he, need, he wouldn't be interested because he hadn't had enough of those experiences. Um, I did have them, uh, a thought when I was like, I kind of want my daughter to see this. Like, Certainly if my kid was found out and was interested, I'd absolutely sit down and watch it with him. Well, and part of the reason uh, going back to the idea of resilience was just to, you know, we're in kind of a chaotic shifting world right now. I mean, we don't even know what's going to happen in a month from now, right? Exactly. And so- it, you know, we are all sort of thinking about resilience right now in this, uh, in our crazy world. And to see a kid go through these challenges and come out okay, I feel like could be kind of inspiring to my kids. Like, oh, wow, it, it is going to be okay at the end of the day. It's just there's some rough patches along the way. There's scenes where, you know, he's drinking or the, and then there's a kid drinking while he's driving a little bit. Yeah. You're thinking this is the bad scene. No. No. Because in real life, most of the time, kids do stupid things and get away with it. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, and they're not going to be bad people. And I think that's the, is that it's not, there is nothing extraordinary in this movie. No. And that makes it an extraordinary movie. Well, exactly. There's nothing extraordinary about these people, the circumstances of their lives. It's, it's all, they're just very real characters and very real people and it, it they're not manipulated into trying to make some big statement but you know what was manipulative and did try to make a big statement what? the winner that year for best picture and best director birdman boyhood did not win best picture or director and birdman did <sighs> which movie you want to watch again <laughs> i'm just saying that that's what that's why i got so upset about birdman because to yeah. me they were it's like night and day on how good birdman was compared to boyhood yeah i mean i I thought I watched Birdman soon after it came out and I thought, yeah, it was all right. Yeah. You know, so I mean, again, but maybe Boyhood's just meant to be, you know, not all movies have, that are great have to be a, a, an Oscar winner. And, uh, you know, nobody's going to be watching Birdman in 10 years, but I feel like Boyhood is going to survive and is essentially a classic. Richard Linklater is is interesting because he makes a lot and yes. not everything I, I like. And I haven't seen his last uh, couple of movies. I haven't seen Where Did You Go, Bernadette? And Yeah, I didn't see that either. I heard that was not good. Right. So he does fail a lot, but yet at the same time he made dazed and confused mm -hmm. he made school of rock he made boyhood and he mm -hmm. made the before trilogy um and those are to me so so good and i really like uh scanner darkly you like that and i like a movie that i don't think anybody's seen it because i i, I loved it it was uh, me and orson wells yeah i haven't seen that yeah that's actually pretty good but it's another movie that it's not very strong on plot but i don't know it's he, you can never tell what he's going to make and right. i think sometimes it's going to stick and sometimes it doesn't but he's just an interesting guy like i said earlier boyhood could have been a complete disaster have you seen any interviews what's this kid's name um eller coltrane yeah i'm curious what his thoughts are looking back on the movie i haven't seen any post 
like after all the documentary stuff was kind of like, oh, we finished the film kind of thing or while it, they were on set. So, right. okay. you know, I haven't watched a lot of like, what's his experience say? Like, you know, many years like I mean, because, you know, he, he's been in a few small things, I think. He, he's a good actor in the movie, but he's yeah. not. I wouldn't say he's just a guy that was going to be suddenly a movie star. Right, right. Um, so I don't know where he'll go from here. That would have been another interesting movie to see what, what happens with this character. But uh, I'm impressed that he got somebody to finance Boyhood. I mean, I know it's not a super expensive movie, but he is, too, because the guy who's the producer, he couldn't believe that he was still at the company for 12 years because that just doesn't happen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it was really cheap. They did the whole movie for four point two million dollars. Wow. He created something that could be filmed. These little chunklets there. There were three or four days, I guess, the entire 12 years were 42 shooting days. Oh, wow. But, you know, only a few days here, there, and they never did any, like, you know, there's not swooping camera effects, and, you know, it's... No, there's a couple, there's there's some some crane shots here and there, but... They did shoot the whole thing on film, and that was another thing they talked about. They actually shot it on 35 because what the thought was is that technology's changing, and we don't really know what's going to happen, but pretty sure that 35 millimeter will be around and we could still get stock. Right, But by the end of it, the company they were using to do the telescene, which is to transfer to digital, they actually hadn't used it in a year since the last year that they were doing. So they're like, well, we have to get it out. We're not going to be able to really use this. We're going to get rid of it. Um, So, you know, it's just a lot of technology was changing as this movie was being made. One thing I I noted was just how consistent the look of it was. That's, again, these are all little things that are just amazing when you start picking apart the movie that it could just have gone so wrong. (laughs) And then there's that second, well, by the way, there was a second husband we didn't talk about. Yes, yes. And that's also based on the fact that his mom dated somebody from her class that had just come out of Vietnam, and he wanted to include the idea that he thought, well, you know, we're we're in this experience of the Iraq War. Right. And that he knows that a lot of these guys, you know, they're trying to make their lives after they come back, but they can't always, you know, escape what they've been through. And that's really why that character exists, where he seems for a while much friendlier and better than the first husband (laughs) yeah but he couldn't escape his demons and it just shows you that she wasn't perfect in picking the men in her life well who is though and that's why it's so real that's why it's so real it's yeah these just seem like very it's amazing that so much of it can be so sort of typical and normal without it feeling cliche absolutely so i i mean you know again i'm i'm so thrilled that you liked it and i really didn't know i i mean i was prepared that you could say yeah uh no you'd be like or you do that chuckle where you're like well <laughs> i gotta tell you this is why i didn't like the movie um but you didn't so i'm very happy yep. because you know again it's no good having the feels if you didn't feel anything yeah i uh i <laughs> i think it, it surprised you because even though you heard it was great i don't think you were prepared to say that you thought it was going to be that great you know what i mean i was reserved i was trying to hold back my judgment as much as possible but you know it, it's got a hundred on Metacritic. And then, you know, those those that uh, if you go down and look at all those reviews that make it up, I mean, those that didn't give it as strong, they're just humbugs and they, yes. didn't, they couldn't hate it. But I think there's always that one or two that hates that everybody likes something. Exactly. You, you got to have some devil's advocates and some naysayers in the in the basket of critics. So, you know, we took a journey through pretty much one movie this week. You know, go, go see the film uh, if you haven't already or and check it out on Criterion. Yeah. And definitely watch Octopus Teacher. And then, you know, if you've got the kids at home, 
uh, or you like to, to be entertained, watch the Enola Holmes. Oh, yeah. I'll be watching that this weekend. Hey, by the time you hear this, who knows who's going to be alive, who's going to be dead of the old COVID-19 <laughs> great uh, strike. Uh, we may have a new Supreme Court justice. We <laughs> may have more voter suppression. I mean, I'm going to stop laughing now. I, I think it's uh, uncomfortable laughter at this point. It is. You know? Yeah. about unnerving. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I, I know it's going to happen. Something's going to happen. That's Something's it. going to happen. And we will be resilient. Yeah, I mean, I just hope that uh, by the time, we, like in boyhood, like when we go visit his, visit Jim and Teal in a year from now, we'll, yep, check we'll in with us. I'll have more gray hair, and uh, <laughs> you know, but maybe the pandemic will bind us, and <laughs> we, we won't be wearing masks. But now it sounds like we're going to be wearing masks till God knows what. <laughs> we're going to be wearing masks for a while now. Yep. All right. Okay. Well, uh, happiness everyone and uh go watch some stuff on the old uh, TL television set okay or iphone whatever you gotta do <laughs> i know kids do that today they do all right bye-bye bye